4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L.D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Did you have a chance to play any pro uh, pro ball? Who? You. Pro football? No, baseball or basketball. I played professional baseball with Atlanta for five years with the Braves. So I ended up getting drafted in baseball. What year you got drafted? 1973. And you played five years. Yeah. And people, you know, what was so funny, the scout who came in scouted me uh, for the Braves, he said, the people up there kept trying to convince me you were better in basketball than baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you didn't get a basketball uh, offer? No, just, I, you know, the only team I probably could have played basketball with in the NBA would have been Boston because of the style of play they had and the style kind of play I was. You know, I could play that with them, you know, because they didn't require you to do nothing but team things. I was big on the team thing. That's what made me so good where guys wanted to score all the time. You, you don't have to score. Well, I was scoring and didn't have to. The ball will find you and you stick it in. That's what I used to tell them. <laughs> now, so now you, you came from the big city of New Rose, Louisiana, to Southern University, and you did all in, that, in your power to make this I, I don't say a dream come true because you just, you winged it all the way. You just figured out I'm going to make it some kind of way. I winged it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Hadn't heard that in a while. <laughs> yeah. That's what the old folks told me. Yeah. Because you said, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make something of myself. I, I told my daddy I'm not going to work in this field. I don't know where, where I'm going to work at or what I'm going to do, but I'm not coming back and working this field. So you, you, you made this happen for yourself and created a great opportunity for your family. We didn't have anything. Right. Uh, I really didn't start thinking about playing pro sometime after my junior year. You know, it started hitting me that I might have a chance. Because, remember, I thought I couldn't play baseball at all here. I said, man, I can't. I'm out of, you know, and the coach said, he said, you're going to be a really good player. And I'm saying, what? So because I didn't get opportunity at, uh, that much in the first two years, I didn't think at all in baseball. You got me? Mm -hmm. But something clicked in my junior year, and I won the batting title. I won the swipe batting title. You won the In my junior year, yeah. And then the next year I hit even better. And that's when I got drafted. So, But I was really, my senior year, I was really good in basketball. I had came under a different coach, a different style of basketball. Now, who was your coach then? Carl Emerson Stewart. Oh, Carl Stewart. Carl, you heard of him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Carl Stewart. So he was, uh, he brought in a different style of basketball. And it fit what I could do. You know what I'm saying? You thrive. I, th I really thrive in there. You know, the one with, you know, where you can fast break, I could run, I could play defense, you know, and I could jump a little, so. And how tall were you, were 
Six five. I didn't get any shorter or taller. Okay, six five. But I was a jumper. I was a jumper. I could really jump. So, so that that running uh, to get that newspaper back and forward every day got you stronger. Got me stronger. It put me on the right track. I had the right attitude for it. You got me. So, but I, I no, but it, it says a lot about why <clears throat> you are a, a, a player's coach. You know, uh, all of, all your team, a lot of your guys who played for you, they always spoke very highly. You was a player coach, but you didn't play with them though. But you, 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 you work with them, and you gave them opportunities because you know what you came through. You didn't, it didn't come easy for you. So you gave those guys an opportunity to, to prove themselves and to show themselves that they can do it. It wasn't about showing you, it was about showing themselves. That's right. Uh, you know, I understood p players, that they're people. I understand that, you know, I had some coaches that they only wanted to win. And I said, if I ever coach, I was never going to be like that. I'm never going to put winning of, ahead of teaching a player how to do things right. You got me? You can teach players how to win without putting winning as the priority thing in front of them. You got me? You show them how to do the mechanics right. You teach them about situations. And you help them to know, study their opponent. I think all of those things is what help people to win rather than drilling something in them about winning. You got to teach them what it takes to win. And then the winning part will come. I just think the, 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 the point with the winning is delivered wrong in many cases because it's drilled in them rather than taught in them. You got me? Something about teaching. If Listen. The things I learned when people taught me has been a key part in my life, so I try to distribute that back to them. Now, let's go back to what you said. Now, you done matriculated through the great Southern University, so you done proved you can be a Jaguar in two sports and in, the, in education. You self, you're a self-educated, self-made man in a way, but you know, thanks to Buck Jones, too. Now he, Buck Jones, got to give him some credit. Give Buck some credit, but he hung in there with you to get you started. But you was determined. Now you come later. When did you decide, okay, I will use it. You went to Atlanta, five years. You came back. When did you, what, what point in time you say I want to be a coach? Where, how'd that come about? And Buck's mother name was Eunice, too. My mother name was Eunice. Buck's name, mother name was Eunice. Y'all got along quite well. Quite well. We became great friends. Even though we never were roommates, we did everything together to a large extent. And I wanted to make sure because when we would go play two-on-two -two basketball, was big during the time, we'd, on, on the weekend, we beat everybody. Ooh, you and Buck? Yeah, and he was a baseball player. But we played two-on-two -two basketball, they couldn't beat us. Where, where, where you playing two-on-two -two basketball at? In the, in the gym right there, oh, okay. or Seymour Gym. That's what we would play. Oh, they could not beat us. And he was a baseball player. I'm a baseball player, part basketball player. So y'all dominated on the two. Oh, the basketball team, them guys couldn't understand. Well, we understood the Boston Celtics philosophy. 
give and go, pick and roll. (laughs) You got me? That's what we were doing on them. Give and go, pick and roll. So I wanted to bring that up because uh, we we did a lot of things together, but playing two-on-two basketball was, we were champion at that. Now, when I, I don't know, I never wanted, thought about coaching. That was not something I, I got up in the morning thinking about. I have to give you a feeling something before I got my first coaching job. Okay. It was something I did that you, I went to school to get a master's degree. Hold on, hold on. But once you got on the honor road, you figure, oh, I can move to the next level. Well, and I didn't, I had no intent of the master. There was a football player by the name of Godwin Turk, great football player here, played with the Jets and some, and he came back and he got his masters. And he saw me one day and he said, get on, man, you gotta come and get your master's degree. I said, man, no way, I don't care, no. I barely got out of college. Yeah. He said, you gotta do it. He said, there's a field called guidance and counseling. You'll be ideal, get that degree. And I went and looked at it and got talked into it. And but, but just, 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 your story is a very wonderful story, Coach. Most of your encouragement came from former players who's on the same, around the same age as you. Yeah. That's pretty doggone good. It's these, pretty good, yes. These other players was encouraged, because they must have saw something in you too. Well, I don't know, they must they have, but it was like, I just got along with everybody. You know, that was the thing, uh, Lyman. I got along with everyone. And the thing is, they are, we had a a mutual uh, respect. You got me? It was a mutual respect. It was love. You know, when I tell people, you know, I've never been in a fight in my whole life, a physical fight. You never had a fight? No. Never. You had other players from the time you hit Southern University campus. Bug Jones. Then you said Turk encouraged no, you to go to, go to get a master's degree. That says a whole lot. That says a whole lot about the university, the quality of people that was here. Yeah. That y'all supported each other. Yeah, well, that's what it was about back then. We all supported. That's how we made it. We all supported. Nobody had much. Nobody. That was. I was about to say that no one had more than the next person. We all were coming from struggling situation, where you know the system had denied people all over the country, had denied them opportunity, and the sudden open door policy had that open door policy, and they had their, their arms out reach and say, "Come, all come, we'll take you, and we'll nourish you." You got me? You know, so that's, uh, I wanted to mention because getting a master's degree in between, in between coaching. And like I said, in 1980, once I got the, we were packing, my girlfriend and I, who became my wife, to go to Greenville, South Carolina. What was in Greenville, South Carolina? Well, that's where she was from and her daddy was a big man with Union Carbide. Union Carbide was big at the time. And she said, Dad can get you a job there. Oh, okay, uh, let's go. Well, we packing. Dad come call Emerson Stewart. Coach call Emerson Stewart. Coach call Emerson Stewart. 
kill me walking between South Hall and Granison, and we were packing, and he said, hey, I'm going to hire you to be my assistant. I just fired two coaches, and you're going to outwork both of them. I can't say on camera what he said. <laughs> you can't? I can't. No, I'm not. I'm not going to try and say it. I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to be nice and say, I just fired two coaches, to, and you'll be able to outwork both of them. So what two coaches you fired? Well, I'm not going to name them. Okay. Uh, and so my girlfriend said, well, maybe you can stay a year or two and we'll, we'll go to South Carolina. So, you know, come May, it come, uh, it come July. This would happen in May. We got married in June. And then July is when I got the job as assistant you, basketball coach. You, you finished graduate school now? Yeah, I finished. All right. I finished. I finished in 70. Seven, 79, I think I finished. That's when I got it, you know. It is what it is. So that opportunity came to you. Yeah, it came to me. You didn't go looking for that. I had had my fill of education. You got me? I was thinking I didn't need anything else, and I never got to use it, other than the experience of that I got getting the, the degree helped me in my coaching because I was able to put some of the techniques to test, to work with my players, you got me? There are things you learn when you take, you go through a program, you got me? And I was able to use them in, in dealing with my kids and make it better, you know? And you end up taking that job under call, Coach Carl? Stewart. Stewart. And how old were you at the time? Well, now you're asking me to go back, this is, 1980, I was born in 51, so <laughs> you figure, I'm 31, let's say 31, okay, let's say 31. But, but, uh, so you start, you start coaching at Southern University, and when did you become the head coach? Well, hold up now, you, I, I've got a feeling everything. All right, there, fill it in. So, worked two years under Carl Stewart, he got fired, Andy Stogling came in, I worked two years under him, and he left, and then Dick Hill, who was the AD, asked me to take over baseball in 84. It took me two months before I took that job because I knew they had no facilities. And I remember I was still an assistant basketball coach, and uh, I, was, I was moonlighting. So you used assistant basketball coach? So you still two sports man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you coached two sports now? Hold up one. Hold up one at a time. At a time? Yeah. And uh, I, in August of 84 is when I started to coaching baseball after I left basketball. So I never coached two sports at one time. All right, then. All right, then. Now, let's make sure we get the record straight. Okay, then. Okay. So you coached baseball for a time, basketball for a time. Four years. Four years. Then you moved into baseball. And now you're still on the Southern University campus. You have not left Southern University at the time. So, so Coach, so uh, Dean, Dick, John, was that the Dean? Uh, no, Dean Jones was was the one that helped me as the, with the get into college. Dick Hill, Dick Hill was the one that hired me for baseball coach. So they, so these people saw something in you too. Well, they had to if they if they they kept you around. Right. They kept you around, and they, even when coaches got fired, yeah, they kept you on. 
Well, I remember a situation happened with Andy Stoglin. Who was Andy Stoglin? Andy Stoglin was the coach that came after Carl Stewart. Okay. Somebody said something. Andy was watching some kids play, and they went and said he was watching players. And, you know, that got back to the administration, and there was a lot of mess, and he came to me and said, somebody said something, and you got to, you know, this is why you don't keep coaches from previous. I said, Coach, let me tell you something. I said, that would be awful stupid on me. If I'm trying to get a job, I'm going to try to hurt you. I said, I tell you what, Coach. I'll make you an offer that you can live with. He said, what is it? I said, after two months, if you're not happy with me, fire me and I'll go. He said, that's a deal. (laughs) After two months, I get called in. And he said, I've got to make a decision. I said, yeah. He said, I no longer want you to be this, but I want you to be the recruiting coordinator. <laughs> I said, oh, no, coach. I... <laughs> he said, you're better than me at recruiting. I said, coach, I don't want to get on that road. He said, you have no choice. That's what I want. Say, I know I brought Hugh Wallace in to do that, but you're better than him and you're better than me. So this is how a negative turned into a positive. See, I was confident in myself that I didn't do nothing to try and hurt this guy. And I knew that I could do, I knew talent, you got me? Because I took him, I took him to some of the players in Louisiana. I said, I'll take you to some of the players, took him all the players. He said, doing man, you know. He said, some of these guys, they own no list, but they can play us, I know. See, I said, that's the thing about Louisiana. It's rural, and they're good players, but they're just not gonna be on the list. Because you came from that situation. So who knew best? A person that came from that kind of situation. You know, I came from that, so I understand they're gonna all be, it's gonna be overlooked. It's a little harder now, but there's still kids who are overlook. You got to go in the inner city now and find them. That's why they're going to be overlooked most of the time. But nobody wants to go in there. Nobody wants to go in there. It's dangerous. <laughs> but I used to go in the inner city. Well, I ain't never heard a coach getting shot in the inner city, though. No, I never heard. Not unless they're doing something wrong. Yeah, unless they're doing something yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, so. But, but you, uh, you know, when you when when you took when, when you took the head coach job at Southern University, she said that you know you got to tell her that experience because there was there was nothing there, just a job, <laughs> and you had to you had to create build everything. But you said you came from little or nothing, and so you're a self made man. You built yourself to be someone great, and I have to say it like that because you are. And you figure that if I'd done this with my, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I couldn't, you know, couldn't speak the language. But look what I've done here. So what can I do with this? There's nothing out here, but got, I got some space to work with. So what? What gave you? What became the driving force in Kadon life to take the job and move Southern into the 21st century <laughs> in baseball? That he got a building name after you over here. You're sitting in it. Yeah. It was a challenge that 
I didn't really see as a major challenge. You got me? You know why it, it was, they weren't asking much of me. All they wanted me to coach a team, they, there was no, no grand door say, go win a national championship, go win this, go do this. You know what I'm saying? All of the, uh, the, the thing was based upon, I knew this program had history. I played in it. I played with some of the great players. We did very well when I played. Had a lot of guys drafted. And I felt that I could do something. Now, the challenges were monumental, man, when you start talking about not a field to practice on. You don't even practice field. What, what did y'all no, practice at, at the time? Well, we practiced where the field is now. But it was just a field. It wasn't a field. It was just grass. It was just it was just a, a plain. There was no field. It was just an area. Yeah, because it used to be like when you, when you were past, when I was in college, when you were past that area, it was just like part of the, the that's water down there? Yeah, like well, it was low in water. Yeah. Water, it was, all, it was a low spot. Yeah, so it's like bamboo, yeah. bamboo shoot growing up. Well, we don't want to say that, but <laughs> we made it work. And where this building sits right now, when, when we couldn't use that area, we would congregate in this area and hit ground ball to each other. Nothing, just, just do it. I had a batting cage right there on the outskirts of this building that a guy got someone to build for me. I mean, every now and then I was able to patchwork here with a relationship here, get someone to, uh, to do something, you got me? Remember, it wasn't easy, but I kept asking. You see, the one thing that I had going for me that I was gonna ask, I kept asking and asking and asking, and finally, we got this thing built. Matter of fact, let me tell you what happened. I was in the restaurant business. <clears throat> Asked some, uh, some, some young white ladies come to me one day. They said, uh, look, do you know Coach Kadar at Southern? I said, well, I, I'm familiar with him. I said, we, I think we're going to help him get some lights out there. I think her name was Anita Haywood. No. I don't know what her name was. One of them name was Anita. No, her name was uh, Janice. Her name was Dennis. Uh, so they, they, they was telling me that they was going to help you get some lights. Now, these people from LSU. Yes. And I said, well, you know, Coach is a very good guy, you know, very respected. He always involved with me. I said, we're going to really help him. And from that day forward, they, they, had, they had a time frame. They said, we're going to get some lights out there because they used to like come watch you play too. Right. So they said, we're going to get us some lights out there where they can play at night. Because it just be it just be you, you the team, and a bunch of mosquitoes out here. So they said we gonna get us some lights out there. Mm -hmm. So how long did that process take to get lights out there? I got the feel up in 1990, 91, in 91. Got the feel running, and we had lights they were on the ground. <laughs> it just couldn't work them because LSU had given us the lights. Oh, they gave y'all some. Lights. Yeah, but we couldn't put them up because of the cost. See the way the year. For safety, you gotta have when you. It was gonna be so expensive, right. been cheaper to start from scratch and get new lighting. So, so you and so you and Skip Berkman 
worked very closely. Yeah, that's how we got, you know. Uh, yeah, let you yeah. Know and then and work. then turn the industry and some other people got involved. Uh, Gitro, Janice Gitro, her husband Billy was the president over there. And uh, so we got that done. Uh, but we ended up giving the lights to Zachary because they could do better. And then we went to work on getting new lighting. I tell you, I got to give one main credit that I haven't given enough credit for. Former mayor, uh, uh, Tom, Ed. Tom Ed McCune. Damn, I got to give Tom Ed. Tom Ed went to bat for me. Mm. With the businesses, the ones I couldn't, he brought them in. And that's how we got the feel and the lighting done. Because I had the commitment from Tom Ed. He said, I'm going to help you. And he did it. And so you can't do nothing of what I did here without the business community when the state doesn't get involved. Remember, Southern is the only f school in the state that the state didn't do anything for. And I don't blame the state. I do not blame the state because we had a field that was going to be built. built uh, Barham. Barham was over the Ways and Means Co Committee. Uh, he brought us in to have a meeting at the state capitol. We went and had lunch in the, in the bottom. And he said, before I leave, my, my, give up my uh, chair, I want to build a state-of-the-art facility for Coach Kadoff for what he's done. Oh, no, he said Coach Kadoff. That's, that's probably where he messed up at, huh? Well, the guy, the chancellor said, say, you can't do that. We don't want to stop what we're doing. And he said, uh, Curtis, uh, Curtis uh, was the guy name. Uh, he said, Curtis, Curtis Lee. He said, what are you talking about? I'm talking about building a state-of-the-art field. He told that man not to do it. And people won't believe me when I tell them that. The three of us was there. And when I see Mr. Barham every now and then, I say, can you believe Curtis turned down that? I, I should have been more forceful. I probably should have been more forceful. I was trying to respect the fact that the chancellor sent him as his representative. You got me? And I didn't want to do that in the meeting. Challenge him. Yeah, because he was the voice of the chancellor. And now, I'm sure if the chancellor had come himself, he wouldn't have turned that deal down. Why would you turn down a state-of-the-art facility? That the state don't... For fun. And he said it's based upon what this man has done for the state, not just Southern, for the state. He said he's, he's, he deserves it. You're an ambassador for the state. So I'm telling you, that's, that's what happened. Why? But we, you know... I still was able to get this, this done, and then this done here, through a lot of, you know, but you don't know how this happened. <laughs> that was some money appropriated for this, and it, the football uh, building got shorted a million dollars, and they had to take it. The, that's why it delayed this project. And I said, all I ever said to the president, uh, Slaughter was the president at the time. I said, all you got to do is tell me. 
I understand football. I said, I've lived a good life because of football. You got me? I said, I've football lived. Football was paying you, right? That's right. I said, I understand. But the good Lord had it. See, whenever one thing fell, I was able to go to a good friend, Avon Honey. He's not with us anymore. He was a representative. State representative. Yeah. And I said, Avon, he said, anything you could do, we just lost this money. Billy said, let me go to work. Jindal was the governor at the time. Bobby Jindal. Bobby Jindal. Very difficult to work with. You know. <laughs> but I know his wife. His wife is a really nice person. <laughs> okay, his wife is nice. Person. Yeah. Jindal. <laughs> Jindal heard a lot of schools in the state, man. Ooh, he cut it. He heard, he heard LSU. I mean, you know. So, uh, and I understand. I understand. So, but we were able to get the money. 1.3 million to get this facility built. And they named it after you. They got your name on the building. I wanted it named after me. Oh, okay. Oh. They asked me why wouldn't I want it named after the baseball field in this building. And that was a good question because most people would have taken the baseball field. You got me? Yeah, because they always go announce the Roger Kato. Oh, no. But it wasn't to me, it wasn't about that. It was something about this 16 years it took me to get this building up. 16 years. You know how many emotionally up and down uh, uh, situation, back and forth, 16 years, you know? How long did you coach here? 33 in baseball, 40 total. 40 total. Yeah, so it took, you know, it's just, you know, and it's, I tell people they don't understand. This is why this place worries me more than this. I mean, when I say worried, you know, I wanted it from my players. My players had to dress out of their cars in the parking lot. Huh? This is why I needed this place. I wanted this place because I want. I promised that to them. I made a promise to them that I would get a clubhouse. This is why. That's the one promise I was. I was thinking I might not be able to deliver. Because I deliver on all my promises to my players, they believe me. And finally, when we broke ground, it still took two years after we broke ground to start. I fussed and fight and scratch. It was just so much, man. Nobody cares. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. People in position, you should care about young people. Because you know what? Those are young people are going to be the future of this university. And you don't know what position they're going to be in. You got me? This is why you got to care. You have to care. You just don't know what position a person is going to be in. And we've made some bad hires when people are in position. They, they think power is, is forever. Them position of power, you got me? They're short-lived. This is why I try to tell people all the time, it's better not to have a job that you think got power. You don't make as many mistakes, you know. So... You know, so it's been interesting. It's been a, a an interesting run for me. All of the good things. 
I've been able to do. They hadn't been easy, but you know, it's been a lot of love with I, I don't look at the bad time, I just let the good time rock and roll. You know, I've had more good times than I could ever imagine. In the, in the state of Louisiana, the city of Baton Rouge has been good to you. It's been really good. And you have fostered and built some great relationships that I know of personally, people all over the state, all over Baton Rouge, hold you in high esteem on all in all communities. And that's what I've always admired about you, how you have, how you never gave up on yourself, you never gave up on your baseball team, and you never gave up on Southern University. Never get, well you can't. Southern University is a name. It physically can't do anything. It's the people who operates this university. That's why you can't give up on Southern. Southern serve as a symbol. It's the doing people who runs this place. But they go, sooner or later, they're going to they gonna cut, they're going to move out. They're going to move out. Hopefully we can move somebody in. Gonna, move, gonna, yeah, gonna get have the, 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 the university or the community or the students at heart. Yeah, that guy who made that decision about not taking the state of the art field. He should have never done, should have never been in that position. Should have never been sent to make a decision. You got me? You can't even reason out why. Did you have a conversation? You should. Why can't you bring that back? Uh -huh. And we have a conversation. Why can't you? That, 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 that was a dead issue soon he spoke yeah. that? Yeah. He said, oh, no, we can't accept it. We've started on something and we don't want to stop. Well, you know, because to say that, and then, you know, you always hear the talk around Baton Rouge, the state. The state don't do nothing for Southern University. Southern University has been struggling ever since its conception. The white people don't want help Southern. So not, but they are well, that's just some people saying that that's not the case. Yeah, right. But that's no. really, I, I don't want to really go right. too far into that because right. that's really not the case when people say white people don't want to help Southern. That's not true. We know that's not true. Well, it's not true. And the fact is, you have to make good decisions. You have to you have to have good business people negotiating for you. You got me. And and I don't think Curtis Lee was a good a person that should have been in that situation to make that decision. The man tried to give him a chance to back out. And say Curtis, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Yeah, the chancellor made it clear. We 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 started something. We don't want to stop. What? You started something you don't want to stop. You know, here's the guy talking about five, six million dollars to build a studio facility. Back then, you're talking about 90, in the 90s, that's a lot of money. That was a whole lot. You could have built a state-of-the-art facility. Yes. For five to six million dollars back then. And I had to also envision we may be moving in the field to... Uh, on the farm back there, because that would have been a good place to move in. You got me? Yeah, you, you, you'd, have built, you'd have built a, a, a real baseball field. Well, you would have had this area. Yeah, you, could, you could do stuff, you got me? So, but that's okay, life goes on. We got this built and uh, you know. But, but nothing in your life came easy, coach. Well, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Okay. It might look too hard to to you, but it may not be as hard to me. I'm not going to say nothing came easy because a lot of things came easy. Uh, well, like one of my former players who coached under me said, Coach, 
everything was easy for you because of what you went through in your life. So he could see how things became easier for me. You got me? What is difficult for Lyman was easy for Roger Kadar because he had already dealt with that stuff, you know? You just got to figure out how you go, how you going to maneuver it to make it happen. Huh? Something I didn't even try to figure out. It just happened. It just happened. I mean, I'm just, uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's just amazing. You know, I could see people were angry with some things that was going on, and I'm smiling and saying, What's the anger about? <laughs> I couldn't understand. You know what I'm saying? You mad, bro? <laughs> because I remember I had a white uh, graduate assistant coach, and we playing Grambling, and a kid for Grambling hits a home run, 400 some feet, way out of the park, and he's walking around, taking his time, and this guy's cursing, and finally I said. What, what's going on? What, what's going on? Look at what he's doing out there. I said, what is he doing? Look at the fans. I said, just look at the fans. I said, this is what we baseball in our community is like. The fans are enjoying it. Then I said, look at the scoreboard. We up 16 to 5. Let that guy enjoy himself. <laughs> don't, get, don't, don't get mad at him, man. Huh? You winning the game. Winning, the fans enjoying it. I said, this is what happens in our community. They want to show. They, they want to show. They want to show. <laughs> just give us a show. Uh, it's just, uh, you know what to this day he said, I was very stupid. He said, you made, made me see something I couldn't recognize. He said, in our community, we want to kill. I said, I could believe that. Yeah. But I said, you know, the fans were happy. We up 16 to 5. You think I were, but how far he hit it? It's still just one run. <laughs> Let him gloat there. Huh? He gloating. He gloating. And when the guy got to home plate, he touched home plate with the tip of his finger. <laughs> <laughs> he done something, huh? Yeah. But they're still losing. But, yeah, but he, he got him a good hole. He got oh, him a good one. Oh, yeah. And the fans just went crazy. He got to home plate. This kid was about 6'6". 340 pounds. 340 pounds. Oh, he was a hell of a hitter. He got the, his daddy's name was Giles. Played tight end for Doug William with Tampa. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Giles. Jimmy that was his son. Yeah, I remember, I played against Jimmy. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, Jimmy, well, I figured. Jimmy, Jimmy yeah, his son his son went to Grambling when Doug was coaching. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but he ain't playing no football. He played that's baseball. A, that's a big old man, 6'6". Six, six, 340, 345, maybe 350. So, so he knocked the cover off that ball. Oh, no, he could hit. Oh, no, he was a hitter. He played His daddy played baseball at, at Alcorn, too. I don't think he played pro ball, baseball. He could hit it, though. No, he, 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 you know, Jimmy was an athlete. Yeah, so, oh, no, I think the boy name was Jimmy, too. I think his name was Jimmy John. <laughs> what a classic. <laughs> I had never seen that. I saw a lot of things, and I love it. I love it. You that was, know, that was a big old man running around that field. Well, he didn't run. He took his. He took his time. Oh, he stopped. Then he stopped. You know, Gremlin. Some of the things, or greatest things, happened when we were playing Gremlin. We played in in nineteen uh, nineteen eighty eight. We're playing Gremlin at Goldsby. And a big, another big old guy named Martin, the catcher, he hits a, uh, 
hits a grand slam against us early in the game. And boy, the plane are making noise and they're going up and down and yelling. And he gets to home plate and he does the Pee Wee Herman on home plate. And I'm saying to my player, what is that? What is that? They say, Coach, it's Pee Wee Herman. I said, oh, this is great. You know, how many coaches going to say that? They want to hurt someone. And I'm saying, this is really great. But I saw the little guy ran off the top of the dugout. He came to home plate and pointed that way to Big Martin. He did him that. And he did Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> but in, the, in the, uh, the Negro League, they did all that kind of stuff. They did it. I yeah. Mean, they, they were bet. It was entertainment. Yes, that's what we did, but that's what we do best. Yes. And that's why I try to say, I wanted to know what was that he was doing because I wanted to be updated. Guys say, Coach, it's the Pee Wee Herman. You see what I'm saying? So rather than get mad, come on, man. Why get mad? Let's enjoy the moment, huh? Well, the fans, the fans enjoying it. Because, so, Coach, you said. I want my fans to be happy too. Yeah. Happy fans mean they're spending money. That's right. And listen, we end up winning all them games they were doing and we want them. So they can do what they want. <laughs> we went in the game, you know what I'm saying? Now, now when you when you left Southern University, what was your what was your record? Well, I don't know. You don't remember what that record is? You, you had a I can't record. take the record to the bank and get a loan. <laughs> I don't worry about Lyman. Because you enjoyed them 33 years of coaching baseball. Yes, yeah. Now, now you, you got you got a few great players that you coach. Who who a couple of those might be? Well, you know, we start with uh, uh, Trinidad Hubbard was one of the first kid I had drafted to play for. I, I love that name. Yeah, Trinidad. <laughs> and then I had a guy by the name of Adele Davenport, was really a good player. Got drafted by the Giants. Where was he from? Uh, Greenville, Mississippi. I had a Brian Cornelius from New York City, could really play a New York City guy. Uh, uh, then I had a Tim Stodger's nephew, Willie Stodger. But I had a guy by the name of Keon Thompson. Now, Ricky Weeks played for me, but I got to give Keon Thompson was one of the greatest clutch hitters you ever going to find. Did he come up big for me in the four years he played for me every time? Four years. He played for me four years. He came up big every time. Not every time, but late in the game. That's when he was at his best. They don't strike him out three, four times, and we get in the seven, eight, nine inning. The man, he reminded me of Joe Carter. I don't know, most people don't know who Joe Carter was. Joe Carter was one of the classic clutch hitters in baseball. In his last year, with Toronto, Joe batted 219. That's not very high, is it? 219, you and I could maybe go hit that. <laughs> but that 219, he drove in 131 RBIs. Ooh. That lets you know he's hitting when they, when they count. That's when it's time to hit. So that's what he did. He hit. And uh, so Keon Thompson burnt people late in the game most of the time. He did miss. Where was he from? Atlanta. You know, one of the great recruits out of there. And, of course, I had Ricky Weeks, uh, who became the uh, Golden Spikes winner. Uh, uh, just a really good player. He's out of Florida. Huh? Yeah, got him out of Florida. You know, and he was my – nobody wanted Ricky Weeks. 
Nobody saw it. It's amazing the guy stayed on the market. I often tease Ricky. You know, Ricky didn't sign until August with us. Okay. He's holding out, huh? No, he wasn't holding out. Okay, yeah. No, he never. It's just that it worked out that way. He had to come and visit. And his mother had already committed Ricky the first time I talked with her. So he already, she committed him. So it was there, they were trying to get a visit and they had to come here and visit. That was, and that's why we didn't get the signing done. You got me? Okay. Yeah, and they had to drive. So at the time I had no money to pay for Ricky to fly. <laughs> you couldn't even fly out here. No. Oh. You, 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 don't have, you can't go to a booster like the other folks came to pay for this, huh? So his daddy drove him down, and uh, they came down, and they stayed a couple of days, and, and then when they went back, he signed the paper. But uh, my son told me, huh, I think you signed the wrong guy. You should have signed his brother. His brother was 12 years old. <laughs> oh, his brother was that good too? Well, defensively, his brother was really nice for 12 years old. Oh, he was really, you know. And I'm saying here, I said, look at his brother is little. Look at him, put him side to side. I said, Ricky's going to be a man next to him. And I said, I'm always take the size when everything else is equal. It's always go with the bigger man when he, every, everything is equal, you got me? Right. I said, the only thing his brother could do better than him is feel. That ain't enough. Can I run it, can I throw him, and can I hit him? You got me? And I was right. Three months into it, Ricky had blown up and shit. Three months. So when he arrived on this campus, in three months, everybody knew who he was. No, 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 no. Not in three months, oh. they didn't know. In six months, they knew who he was. Oh, in six months, they knew who he was. But yeah, by February, they knew who he was. Let's see, September, October, November, December, January. <laughs> Fe six months, they knew who he was. They were all calling. They didn't think he was the same guy. Was that, was that just great coaching? No, he gained 30, uh, 15 pounds. You know, he got in the weight room, and uh, this Louisiana food put some weight on him. Okay. Ball was flying off his back. Okay. The balls were already flying, but boy, they started carrying. And I think in the first three games, he hit three home runs in a row, four home runs. And people want to know who in the hell this guy was. And they were calling from everywhere. You know. So the, the pros started uh, asking about him? Yeah, they didn't know. I said, yeah. Y'all were down in Florida when I saw him. I said, it was 100 scouts. How could I be the only one who saw it? You know, they had presidents, vice presidents, general managers, scouting directors, cross-checkers, everybody who was important because they had six, seven number one draft choice in this all-star game. So it was a heavily scouted uh, 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 all-star game because all the number one draft choices. It's when you get that many number one at one time, Ricky just slid under the, just fell under the. Just right, just for you, huh? Fell right in my lap. <laughs> and he's the only one I like. 
all them number ones I didn't like. I can't name any of them one number one player in the big leagues. He was the only one I like. So you had, you had an eye for it. Now you, Coach, I remember quite a few years ago when Major League Baseball, MLB, MLB League decided that they need to get more of what they call people of African descent in the, playing the game and at the younger ages. And more brothers. More of us in the game. And you kind of went to them. They put you on a committee or something. Right? Yes, diversity committee. And you basically told them you helped them to get this thing started because there's very few of us coming up. We played baseball. That's all we did. Right. We we hardly any of us played football. Right. And but nowadays it's vice versa. Hardly any playing baseball. And you went to and when they put you on the committee. What are some of the things that you brought to them? Well, I, I came because I, I signed a confidentiality. Oh, okay. And they don't want you to talk about what went, what we discussed in there. Right. But the only thing you, you can discuss is that they wanted to increase the number of blacks playing baseball. Mm -hmm. That is not a secret. But when you sign confidentiality report, they don't, uh, they don't want you to really right. talk too much about it. Uh, I can say this that there have been a marked improvement in the, in the number of blacks playing baseball because they've done more programs like this Henry Aaron Classic uh, Invitation, Hank Aaron Invitation. They're doing more and more of them and where MLB spending a lot of money. Well, the issue was that they need to spend money in the communities if they want to. Yes. But but they need to invest, but the community, MLB invests in community where community invests in themselves. Okay. That's the philosophy. That was one of the things we, we did talk about and they wanted that to get out because they don't want to keep this a secret. If you invest in your community, we'll come and invest with you. So if you, if you got where you start little league programs, the, like, for instance, in Detroit, I want to give Detroit as an entry. They, where, where, where communities clean up fields and started Little League program, they bought uniforms and provided vans to make sure kids could get to and from, from Little League programs, okay? Chicago has got the most successful program there is. They got the ASA program. That had nothing to do with us. They did it on their own, the White Sox, you got me? So they have done something for a fantastic program where they're sending a lot of kids to college and getting them drafted out of their program. Atlanta, Georgia is popping at the, at the, at the scene with so many players coming out of there because of the programs they've initiated. Washington, D.C., Philly, Cincinnati is coming on, Houston is coming, Dallas, I saw where Kershaw gave a bunch of money, like $8 million, to the RBI program in Dallas, where he's from. So you could see, it's not just black players investing, everybody's trying to invest to help kids play baseball, you got me? But they want to do it at the little, you got to start at the Little League program. You can't start here because kids 
have lost their interest. You see what I'm saying? If you can start them young and you teach them right, they'll stay in baseball. Well, you know, <clears throat> that's a good analogy because that also would resolve issues in the community with violence. Yes. It's to, keep, it's to start young. You can't wait to get a lost interest in, in life. No, a lot of people already got them. They already got them. So we, that, that same concept yes. applies. If you know this, you mean you have to know it applies all through life. Yes. So that's grab our youth and children and start working with them. That's invested them early. The early. But you know, but I, I want to give that, that kudos to you because I remember when you when, it, when you came onto that that, that uh, committee years ago, quite some time ago. It was in 14, 13 or fourteen yeah. when I went when we started that committee, and this thing has really done well. Um, and with the spin-off. Matter of fact, they didn't put too many else on the committee. I think you might have been. No, I'm one, only college coach. Uh, they had uh, they had three three other uh, minorities, but you had general managers, president, and owners on that committee. So it was a a good diversity uh, a committee. I was really honored to be a part of that because to be able to sit in the room with those, I mean, that kind of brain for us. Decision makers, you know what I'm saying? You know the the owner on the one owner in there was the one from uh, Tampa Bay, and then we had three presidents of teams in there, general managers. Where else you go? We got to do a better job in Louisiana, particularly in Baton Rouge and surrounding the areas of creating. Our lot, a lot of our youth don't play baseball anymore. One, one. I hate to cut you off while I'm thinking. One of the things that came out of the committee was. Uh, and I can talk about this, is that baseball, the, the people understand this is not a short-term fix. They say we lost the African-American players not over, over uh, two or three years. It was a process. In the 70s, we began to lose them. In the 80s and 90s, you got me? So it's going to take uh, 20, 30 years to get some back. You got me? Let me tell you what the spinoff is. They're hoping that parents get smart enough with all the injuries that occur in football. I just saw where a kid from Texas died from a head injury, a high school kid. That parents start saying, I need to find an, an alternative sport for my kid. Maybe football ain't the sport for him. You got me? This is what baseball is hoping. If they're able to get the premium black athletes to play baseball, then baseball can do what its ultimate goal is, is to globalize baseball. Why to globalize baseball? You're gonna need premium athletes so you can put people in the seats. A Mike Trout, a Tyler, you gotta have those people, you know what I'm saying? So if you go global, the name sells tickets. So if you could get a black Bo Jackson out of baseball, I'm using the name. Right. You don't think he, you get him to switch from football to baseball, you don't think that guy can sell tickets? If he goes into uh, uh, South Korea, Japan, Australia, China. Now I'm telling you, these are the places, uh, Europe, Montreal or Vancouver, one of them gonna get a, a team and they're looking at Brazil 
And uh, so this is global. But coach, see, but you're telling me something that we all know, and that's what we and something that we don't know. To create a global market, they need us. Yes. That's what you say. Yes. Now you can you can go to Dominican Republic, you can go to Trinidad, you can go all the places to get athletes that look like us, but they don't have the, the people around here don't know who they are. All right. And some about American athletes, we got that like you said, them guys, they, them guys running across, they, they stay styling as they run across the base, right? <laughs> and they get there, they go. There's something that they create their own little whatever call it. I'm gonna ask that people love, like the Ali, just to be in his presence. Now, we, we do know NFL have, have invested in, in sport, in their, in their thing. That's why every player want to be a football player. They have done an awesome job of marketing it. Baseball have done a very poor job. Now, NBA is doing a great job of marketing. You know, they have done an awesome job. But we know it's easier and cheaper to play to pick the pick up baseball game than do football, even you know, basketball. But the baseball, we just get up, we go get a stick and and find a little ball somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we didn't need no gloves back then. We we catch with our hands. Yeah, yeah. When you gave when you gave us a glove, we was dangerous then. <laughs> so uh, to create that international market, you know, where people need to let people know that you have a value, not just for you to make money off. But you have a value that we all can benefit. Until it, until we start 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 doing it this way to show that everybody got a value. You got everybody. You can't continue treating everybody like a slave. And then you start you 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 the beneficiary beneficiary. Yeah, you create the you got the market. You got the the league. But let other people own part of it. Let other people be a, be a benefit. You know, share the wealth. Share the wealth. I agree with you and. That's why the American and black athlete is a unique commodity. We're unique in that, yes, the Dominicans, uh, baseball players are, are who they are. I'm telling you, it's something about that African-American athlete, and I never want to go back to, to, to <laughs> Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> but, he, but it's true. But he was right. <laughs> you see, they should have never fired him for telling the truth. You see what I'm saying? Jimmy said, y'all need to come supporting me <laughs> Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the people fired Yeah. Well, you know, but the, the athlete, uh, the African-American athlete is a unique athlete. He's unique. Look at all of the sports that they play. It changes it. You know what I'm saying? Whole, take it to a whole other level. Take it to a different level. And that's why I think people who are in the business understands. And know, to know that, that. You got to know it. Yeah. You got to know it. Major League Baseball is kind of like, it's not dying, but it's, it's kind of. Well, it, it almost died. It's not going to die. It's, too, it's such a great game. It's not going to die. But you need to insert, interject some that kind of life back in it along with the players they have they got some good players too but I tell you, you get your special yeah, but you, but you, don't have you know them. you know like ken griffey jr and them guys them guys were just it's just different yeah, barry bond barry bond you know you know i heard the man uh miller was the uh, announcer and barry bonds went to play in new york and they called barry bonds and he he hits one out and the man john miller said 
It's almost in New Jersey. <laughs> the announcer, the you know, that's classic. You know, it's classic. So we covered that area about your, your career. You anything you want to kind of leave us with? The great coach, Roger Kadar. You also have a, your, your own. I got. I don't want to talk about this. You, you got the car, uh, Roger Cato show. Well, it's going to be a podcast. We change it. I'm doing something like you. I'm leaving the TV from the Roger Kadar show to do a podcast. And I think I can bring more thing in it. I'm going to do more uh, national interview with some of the people I know and give bring the bring the audience a little different spin rather than what I could do on TV. So you think TV, you kind of limited? Well, I was in the box and I want to be out of the box. I want to be able to do more like you. If I wanted to go an hour and a half, I can. I can't do that on TV. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Okay, you see what I'm saying? So that's why I want to do the podcast. We got got a lot of people that I can talk to. That we go. That, that the conversation we just had about National Baseball League to bring those guys. On yeah. Yourself yeah. and have those guys talk. Oh about yeah. Where they want to go. We're going to be able to talk about things of interest for people who wanted who love baseball. Everybody in Louisiana and uh, listen don't love football. They like it, but baseball still is a sport that people enjoy. Now, now we got a big game coming up soon. First time in the history of of uh, football, uh, Louisiana State football. You got Southern University, the great Southern University Jaguars versus the LSU Tigers. So they call it the Battle of the the Cats. So what you think about that game? You excited about it? I guess it's going to be a great battle of the band. It's going to be really, I think it's going to really be. A battle of the band, not the game. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want people, it's not fair. It's not fair to think Southern in football is going to be able to, to be able to do what people are thinking. I'm hoping they can make it respectable. But even coach, you have to be realistic. That's why nobody has ever won playing these kind of schools. You got me? It's a money game. If somebody taking a check, they're paying Southern 800000 I think. Yeah. It's a money game. So, uh, you know, I, would, I just hope they don't get anybody hurt. That's, what that's, what, that's, that's what really what I hope Coach yeah. Dooley and that's his what team in Georgia right, years ago. could come out of and don't get anyone hurt. So now he can compete in the swag. Give himself a chance. Have some money in the pocket. And well, Dion is the one coach who, and he can say it. He can't play these schools because he said the two areas where they're going to beat them up is the offensive line and the defensive line. He said we can compete in the other areas, but offensive line, defensive line, we ain't there yet. And he's he's not going to play those schools until he's there. Now, they're making money in Jackson, so they don't – He's done a good job. Yeah, done an awesome job. He's doing a good job. Everybody call him prime time. Prime time. And he's a different kind of coach. He was a different kind of player. He was a talker. Mm -hmm. And those kind of people, you know, garnish a lot of attention. Matter of fact, see, I played with the Falcons. He came a year after right. me, two years after me, to the Falcons. <clears throat> and he came there. He was calling his own self prime time. That's right. You know, so he knew how to market him, himself back then. Wasn't, didn't do no drugs with no alcohol. He yeah. just he was handling his business. Right. So he did a great job, and that's what he's showing you up there. Is right. That, 
and he's a great example for the, play, the young players that are coming yeah. up there. Oh no, he's different, and you know you got to admire him for that. And Ashley Robertson, the AD, for taking a chance, give him a chance. Have that that enough insight and vision to say I'm I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you opportunity to come to HBCU. Yeah. He played at Florida State, so yeah. that that was that was a great I forgot that that was a great opportunity, brother. Yeah, it was a it was a really good thing that they gave him uh, that opportunity. And now he's opening the door for a lot of more, you know, like Hugh Jackson and uh, the coach at Prairie View and the coach at uh, Eddie Robinson at Alabama State and and somebody else uh, at uh, Texas Southern. All of those guys, they got chances, you know. Right. Now baseball is a lot different, you know. You know, it's not it's a physical game, but you're not hitting, beating up on each other. Well, you know tell let me tell you, yourself, yeah, right? yeah. Let me tell you what makes baseball different. The best team don't always win. In football, they always win. Okay, yeah, okay. But in baseball, the best team don't always win because of the way the, the uniqueness of the game. You can hit a hundred line drive and they're all right at somebody and you're out. You can hit 20 bloopers and they all fall in and you win. That's what makes baseball so unique. You got me? It ain't about how strong and how if you put the ball in play and and you catch the ball, those two things have to happen. You got to be able to put it in play because great defense in baseball don't score run. It's you can, football you can intercept and score. Okay. Basketball you can can't do it in baseball. Defense can't score you no runs. Only offense. It's a great game. That's why you can go beat people. So you, you, anyone can be beaten at any time. That's right. And you you proved that. I've proven it. We've got a, a really good record of beating people and should have won a whole bunch more. But things were different back then. So a little tight. The zone got a little tight <laughs> late in the game. But that's okay. But it still was a, you know, but we still going to be excited by when this big game yeah. come up with LSU and Southern. And it's going to be a wonderful time for the community to come together and share, you know, this wonderful uh, time. Now, I did talk with one guy, told me they did scrimmage Southern, I mean LSU from, Southern scrimmage LSU in the late 40s, early 50s. Well, I... And I, did, I first time I had heard that. First time, it, it must have been a unique situation very, very for much. that to have happened. Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but I want to interview him, but I didn't get a chance to interview him. Well, Coach Kato, we'd like to thank you for giving this opportunity to come here but thank you for coming out here, Coach. You gave us a great interview. You gave us a lot of great history. Now, I don't want you to leave without sharing something that you might want to have on your heart that you might want to share with us that you might have missed or overlooked. <laughs> on my heart, huh? <laughs> That's pretty good, Lyman. On my heart, huh? You know, this is a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you know, I've really enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, we talked about a lot of things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I... I did mention that I need to mention because Donna Cato, my wife, without her playing an integral part in my life, also changed. See, because she was the finishing touch of me being able to 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 speak properly, because uh, she used the Bible as an example doing Bible study that I had to stand up 
and uh, at the podium and talk, read the Bible, talk about what we've read. So, and critique when I was giving a speech, what I should eliminate and how I could rephrase things. So she really did a good job in that. And she was big on that. And one of my biggest critic when I didn't do right, do it right, you know. And that's the only way you can get better is to have someone be honest with you. You, you know what I'm saying? I remember I had a bad night with the Bible study and she fussed at me. My son said, why you let mama fuss at your daddy? <laughs> I said, because she was right. <laughs> I said she was right. You see, my point is as simple, you see, a, a kid doesn't want to be fussed at whether he's right or wrong. You got me? But as an adult, if you can tell him mama was right, it, it helps him to understand you may get fussed at when you don't do things right. You got me? Because sometimes, man, you, it's in family situation, you got to watch how the children question you. You don't want to make sure you don't want to put down one parent. Right. You, you understand? Because he wanted to know why I let mama fuss at me. In his mind, it was wrong. That's the only reason he asked me. And I simply answered quickly, mama was right. I did a poor job. See, those are the things I think are part of highlights in my life is that not always willing to admit my shortcomings. It's the only way I'm gonna get better. But you know, the, one of the things I find out in, in, in coaching today with parents and players, nobody wants to talk about shortcomings. Nobody want to admit, you know, that they're not as good as they think they are. You got me? And then work to get better. You got me? Nobody want to admit that anymore. I remember when I moved Ricky Weeks from short to second. Not a lot of people would have done that. Would have been a tough thing to move that kind of player around. Called him in, told him what I was doing. I said, Ricky, uh, I'm going to put you at second because that's why you're going to end up playing in the pros. And Fernandez about, uh, go to short. He said, no problem. Fernandez better than me at short. <laughs> And I said, you're going to be good at second. You're going to play in the big league at second. Yeah. So I was right on both ends. See, and he admitted Fernando was better than him at short. That's, that's pretty good when you get all, get the players to see why you're doing something. Yeah. Well, players always knew that I was pretty upfront and honest about it. I wasn't, I didn't get involved in this foolishness about doing something. I did it for the right reason, you know? I tried anyway, and they pretty much knew that. Now, Coach, now you got to tell me now. You are a, a your your practicing faith is a Jehovah Witness. Yeah. So how you end up, you know, the Jehovah Witness from the they had Jehovah Witness back when you grew up? Well, no, my wife oh. was a witness, and she helped me. Well, my wife was smart enough to know that, you know, I I, I was a good person. I just needed help. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I like I, no, no, she recognized I was a good person that needed help. I had been, she recognized I had been denied some things. It wasn't because it was the system I came up through, you know, no. And we had really frank conversations. And, and the thing is, being one of Jehovah's Witnesses, 
we're not an emotional type religion where people display emotion when they're talking and, and everything. And I've heard some wonderful talks, but they, they were not emotional talks. And they were all Bible-based. That's the only thing about it. Uh, uh, I was telling, uh, I have a cousin who is a preacher. And I said, you are really could preacher, but try not to rile your patient, your, uh, your if, yeah, the, the congregation up too much. I said, they can get more out of what you're telling them if they can understand everything, you know? But he can't get it. He, he feels the more they shout that he's getting more out of it. But he's really good. And I hate to see that because he's, he's done a pretty good job. It's just that he feels he has to get them emotionally arrived. You know, he's a Baptist preacher. So, so that means that if you, just, you didn't really go party a lot. Didn't go to any parties. So, <laughs> so, a lot. Let's make sure we get so, that right. So you know that. So that good that music make you move. That's why you say when you ask that that player, what did he do? He said he doing the Pee Wee Herman. That's right. I didn't know. It. That's right. That tells you. I wasn't out there, so I didn't know. So we are we are emotional people. That that's yeah. the spiritual being that who we yeah. are. Yeah. When you touch when you touch that part, when you rattle that part, that that, that make us give a little bit more. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> Coach is the Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm searching for answers. <laughs> but that, that, that's what made you a great and unique coach, too, is your honesty. Now, what, what year did you arrive on Southern University campus? 70. 1970. January 70. No, no, that's right. You were supposed to be 69, but you missed that first, that first half. Man. Okay. Yep. But, Coach, I want to thank you once again for giving me this opportunity to share your, your life, your story. And you are one of our living legends, and for real, for real, and one of the true leaders and warriors in, uh, in this community uh, that you have done a whole lot and continue to do a lot. And I'm just glad that I got a chance to be in your presence and meet you. We're supposed to be doing our program. Fashionably supported student. We're supposed to be doing our program. The reading program? Yeah, we're supposed to have done it when that yeah. COVID got started. Yeah. <laughs> when that COVID got yeah. started. And I, got, I still got that shirt for you. Yeah. And the name of that program was what again? Read the past. Because I didn't always yeah. this past, especially as a student. Yeah, read the past. Yeah, because you said, because you said, you told me, you said, yeah, because if I could not read, I would not be able to pass through school. That's right. And you said, we got to do this. Oh, no, read the past is important. It's, I'm a true believer, okay? All right, so we still going to move forward with that. Yeah. The COVID over with now, so we got to get our reading gotta get it. program going. And we got, got a good uh, supervisor in the school, uh, whatever his name is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. So we got somebody we can, that can work with us? I think he could, he won't. He wants to help the kids. All right then, all right then. Well, we're gonna thank Coach. Thank you for being part of Count Time, and thank you for sharing this moment with us today. Appreciate you. Thank you, Coach. All right. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.